I want to talk to you guys a few minutes about, uh, about questions. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad's a pastor. My grandpa is a pastor. My uh, great-grandpa is a pastor. I come from a long line of pastors, always been a Christian, been in church every weekend of my life. And so for some of you guys, this is the total opposite of, of where you've been. In fact, this might be your first time to church and you're just trying to figure out what's going on right now. And uh, as I was growing up, I was a pretty typical Christian kid. I had a little bit of trouble in my teenage years and things like that. But I eventually went to Bible school, and um, I met this wonderful woman, or girl at the time, woman now, uh, Amy, (laughs) in which uh, she is uh, pregnant with our third child, that's right, doing work, and so, yeah, it's going to get weird, it's going to get weird in here. Um, Where was I? Oh, yes, pregnant. Uh, Anyway, so... Went through all of my teenage years, my early 20s. In fact, I became a, a pastor right out of college. And, and somewhere along the way, I started reading some books that I wasn't familiar with. One of the books was a book, and maybe you've heard of it before. It's called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And if you're not familiar with the, who Richard Dawkins is, he's probably the world's most famous, famous atheist. And he wrote this book, and it was all about how God does not exist. And so I decided, well, I should hear what the other side of this religious debate has to say. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole entire life. I should probably know some reasons of why God does not exist. And so I began reading it, and there was these objections. And as I look back on it, they're not really great objections, but at the time, I had never heard these before. And so I started reading, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I had this moment. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was on an airplane reading this on my iPad, and I thought, what if I'm wrong? What if there really is no God, or what if Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, and he's dead, and he's going to stay dead, and what if this whole thing is just a a big sham? What if I believe in it, because this is just what I was raised with my pastor's kid. There's like three, four generations of us. What if this is all just, this is wrong? And so I began going and researching for the next few years of my life. In fact, um, my studies took me to get a master's degree in theology because I had so many questions, so many questions about faith, who is Jesus, does God exist, what about the Bible? And and so tonight, I want to just briefly touch on a few of the things that I learned because I think they're really important, especially if um, you're not a church person. And so uh, the way that I think about this, because I've had conversations with hundreds, maybe thousands of people about faith is whenever I'm dialoguing with someone, they usually fall into one of three categories when we're talking about Jesus. The first category of person that I encounter is the skeptic. And the skeptic is someone who is not really sure if God exists, or they may even claim that God does not exist. And so they not only have doubts about the faith, but they're pretty sure that God isn't even out there. This is kind of a man-made thing, that we created God in our image, and so he's like the spaghetti monster who's out there. He's an old man in the sky with a beard, and, and, and maybe that's you. And you just came here because you thought there was going to be cute girls and barbecue, in which you were correct, but you may learn something as well. Okay, so the first person uh, that I encounter is the skeptic. And um, I think this might be a disposition thing as well, because when I talked to my wife, and especially as I was uh, researching and doing my master's degree, I would, I would ask her questions like, well, what do you think about like, the possibility that God does not exist? How do you explain and what do you think about these things? And for her, it was mind-boggling. She just couldn't think about, no, wait, it just makes so much sense. I can't not believe in God. And I thought, well, I can. I can imagine a universe in which there is no God. And and so there are some of us who are bent towards more the skeptical doubters. And and I get that. That's me. That's probably my natural disposition. The second second person that I uh, interact with 
is the, uh, the spiritual, the spiritual person. Oh, by the way, uh, if you are that skeptic person and you're more about the evidence and about reason, there is going to be a speaker here next weekend up in our main campus. His name's Jay Warner Wallace. And I just want to in, invite you to go because he is a cold case homicide detective who was a former atheist, now is a Christian and goes through the different evidences for God. Um, very cool dude, very excited about having him. So make sure you're there next weekend. Okay, second person is the spiritual. So I, I am a regular at a local coffee shop here called Pete's Coffee in which if you've been here a while, you know that I have, this, uh, I have this love relationship with Pete's and this hate relationship with Starbucks, okay? So if you're a Starbucks person, I'll pray for you. So when I go, and I go two to three times a day to this coffee shop, and so these people, they're familiar with me, and I oftentimes get to engage with conversations with um, the people who work there, the bar- baristas, mm, baristas, and... Eventually, they've all come to realize that I'm a pastor. And so as we're having these conversations, some people are pretty funny because um, when someone realizes that you're a pastor, and it usually goes in conversation like, oh, I see you in here all the time. What do you do for a living? And this is one of those moments where it's really like a make or break moment for our relationship. Because when I say, oh, you know, I'm a pastor, they're either going to be like, oh, that's so cool. I go to church or blah, 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 blah. Or they're going to be like, I knew I hated you. You know, they just, it just doesn't, after that, it's either, wow, we're friends or it's the cold shoulder. And so usually it gets that conversation. And I told one of the workers when she asked, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And she says, oh, wow, that's interesting. I should come and check it out sometime. I'm like, yeah, definitely come and check it out. And I said, do you go to church anywhere? You have a, you know, is that part of your background? And she says, no, uh, but I'm, I'm like not religious, but I'm spiritual. And that is something that I've heard from a lot of people, especially young people, is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't ascribe to any certain religion, meaning I think that there's a higher power. I'm pretty sure that there's something out there, and I don't believe that the world and that the universe is random and chaotic. Things seem to happen for a reason, but I can't ascribe to any specific religion. I'm not really down for all the dogmas and all these beliefs and all these traditions and all these practices. I, you know what? That's not really for me but I do connect with some kind of higher power out there. And so they're definitely not in the uh, skeptic camp where they don't believe or they're very uh, skeptical of the existence of God, but they're definitely not going to be in the religious camp. They're somewhere in between. And then the last person that I encounter is, uh, and these are my labels, these are just helping me kind of categorize and think about um, belief, is the satisfied, the satisfied person. And oh, by the way, the... uh, I love the slogan of the, um, the spiritual person. And their slogan is kind of, what works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. Don't try to put your religious beliefs on me, and I won't put my beliefs on you. You do you. I'm going to do me. And then you have the last person, which is the, uh, the satisfied. And I honestly believe that this is probably where most of us fit in, is most of us are in this category somewhere, because statistically, 96% of Americans believe in God. And so by just being American, there's a good chance that you believe in God. And by being in this room, probably a better chance that you believe in God, right? So most of us fit into the God camp some way or another, whether it's a higher power, whatever we call it, we believe that there is a God out there. And um, we may even say, if asked, that, yeah, we are somewhat religious. You might say something like, oh, well, I grew up Catholic, or I grew up Christian, or yeah, I grew up going to church with my parents. And, and so if you had to, on a survey, put religious belief, you might check the box, yeah, I ascribe to some kind of religion, maybe at least just nominally. But as far as practico, practical uh, application goes, and living it out, and it being kind of a big part of your life, not really. 
And here's what I've realized, is that each of these people have different sets of questions. And by the way, no one fits into each category really nicely and it's like, oh yeah, I am definitely that person. I think we all have attributes of, of different kinds and maybe we switch depending on the season of our life. But I've noticed that all of these folks, they have questions. And I know this because I've had those questions. And so I wanna just quickly address a few of the questions that I've had and that you may have as well. And so this satisfied person. The satisfied person, um, which is most of us, is not against God. In fact, we probably like God. We think he's a pretty good guy. But we're just busy. We got a lot going on. We don't really see the need for God. And so let me just throw this maybe controversial thought at you really quick. Is it possible that your version of God does not exist? Yes, I am advocating atheism to a degree right now. That your God, at least the one that you believe in, does not exist. It is a made-up Fairy tale. Probably the last thing that you thought you were going to hear when you come to church tonight, but it might be true. So let's just think about this for a moment. The God that you believe in, or at least the version of God that you believe in, may not be a God that is actually uh, out there. So I think we all know what this God looks like. It's kind of the American version of God, and it's the popular conception of God that we get from movies and from TV and from music and things like that. And so one of my favorite things is to watch people accept awards Especially people who go up there and they go, hey, first and foremost, I want to thank the big guy upstairs, God, because he inspired me to write the song, Shake That Thing, Dirty Girl, and he's really got my back, you know? And you're like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know what God that is, but that's crazy. You know, that's, what? Uh, okay. Um, and like, you can see it. It permeates pretty much all different music genres. It doesn't matter what you listen to. The famous poet Tupac uh, said... Only God can judge me. So there's, you know, there's a, a ghetto in heaven and paradise. You know, like he's, a, he's all about it. You know, he's all about that life. And so I, whenever these celebrities talk about their conception of God, I wonder, where did you get that from? What is it? Who is this God? And so I begin listening and I've come up with what kind of seems to be um, the unofficial beliefs of the American version of God. And so if you were looking at what God's purpose in creating us is, according to the American version, the popular conception in our culture of God, is God created us to be happy, right? He created us to be happy. That was his whole reason for creating us. And, and so the way that he helps us be happy is he gives us money and he gives us health. And so um, the way that you know that you are blessed by God, hashtag I am blessed, is if you have money and you have health, because that makes you happy, and that is the whole purpose of God creating us. And so when, uh, when I think about my own past beliefs, I, for the most part, even though I grew up in church, I believed in this God, the American version of God. I should have known better, but I didn't. And so one of my dreams for the longest time was that um, I would live this life in which I made plenty of money. Amy and I and our future kids one day would all be healthy. We would live till we're old. And then Amy and I would die notebook style together, right? So neither of us have to deal with it. We both fall asleep like, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Good night. Boom, heaven. Yeah, right? And we're, we're good. And no pain. I don't have to worry about it. We're coasting. Life is great. And that was kind of my conception of God. If you really love me, you're going to make this happen. And yet, as I begin to think and as I begin to study, um, I realize that this may not be true. But another belief in the American God is that God wants us to be a good person, care for others. And if we do that, he's going to reward us with this thing called heaven when we die. 
And so it usually sounds something like this. If I do more good than I do bad, and the, the scales of justice are weighed on the good side, guess what? Eternity in heaven. Or we seem to think that God grades on some kind of scale. You remember how this works in school? Right? I got an 89, but because everybody else sucks so bad, that's an A. I'm good. They bumped me up. And so we begin to look at all of the people we hang out with, and everyone we go, God, dude, I'm so much better than them. So for sure, I'm in, because they're maybe not, but I'm in, right? And so we begin to believe that if we are good and we do more good than bad, then we're going to be rewarded with this eternal paradise uh, in heaven one day. And as a pastor, one of my responsibilities is I have to, uh, I don't like to do it, but I have to do funerals. And it's interesting uh, listening to people at funerals because I've never heard at a funeral someone go, yeah, they're for sure rotting in hell right now. (laughs) I've never heard that before. It would be kind of fun if they did, just for a moment, but uh, I've never heard that. Even if I know they were a dirtbag their entire life, and I'm like, oh man, nobody's going to miss them, sorry. Uh, Just kidding, relax, I'm sure their mom will. And so I think about... (laughs) All the nice things that people say, even though I know that they're probably, they weren't even a nice person. But for some reason, when we get there, we're all good at the end, and then we all get to go and do our favorite hobby for eternity, and then we're going to watch down on everybody else. And here's the thing. I know this is a bit cynical, but I want to ask these people, where did you get this idea from? Where did you think, did you just make this up? One time I was speaking at a high school and I opened it up for questions and they were asking me about the biblical conception of hell and the student responded after I gave my response with, well, here's what I believe about hell is, you know, and he started to detail what happens in hell and who goes there and how long it lasts for and all this kind of stuff. And I go, that's amazing. Where did you hear that from? And he goes, I don't know, I made it up. I go, so you're gambling eternity on, "Mm, I made it up. I don't know. You know, you might be smart, but I'm not sure if you're that smart. And because the American version of God is really just made up. We pieced it together. If you start to look at this God that popular culture believes in, it is just a bunch of pieces of you and I and things that we like and things that we want, and we piece it together into this American dream God, and we go, aha, that's the God that I believe in. But why? Why would you believe in that God? See, if, if we begin to dissect these Uh, unofficial beliefs of the American God, and we look at things like creation. His whole purpose in creating us was to make us happy. I'm going to give him a fail, because he's not doing a very good job at making the world happy. If you look at most of the world, they're not happy. They're not healthy. They're not wealthy. Things are not going well for them. And so if there is an all-powerful God who created all of us to be happy, he's not doing a very good job. So either he's not all-powerful or there isn't a God or this God created us for a different reason. And if this whole thing of um, going to heaven when we die, uh, if we are a good person, I think is a fundamental misunderstanding of what God is. So in philosophy, there's this idea that God is the greatest conceivable being, which is kind of just a fancy way of saying that he's morally perfect. If you can imagine something that is morally perfect, that's who God is. And so when we believe that we are good enough to get into heaven, we're having a misunderstanding of of God's attributes. So let me see if I can make make sense of this. Is when we think about a morally perfect person, God, there are different attributes. He will have to be, uh, he'll have to be perfectly just and perfectly loving. Now, here's the problem. If God is morally perfect and he's perfectly just, that means that anything that we do wrong, he has to punish. 
Think of a perfect judge. Cannot let anything... Oh, the party's going on outside already? What's up, dude? Okay. Um, think about this. I, that is cr- unbelievable. Unbelievable. I just want to go have barbecue now. Forget this. Um, what was I saying? You're listening. Good for you. Okay. Just. Perfect judge. Think about a judge who can't let anything slide, can't be like, oh, I get it. You were in a hurry. No? Okay. Perfect, perfect judge. So we've got this perfect judge God on one hand where he's totally just, but then we've also got this perfectly loving God in which he goes, but I don't want to punish you because I love you unconditionally. Now, how does good behavior get past a perfect judge? It doesn't. He has to punish us. There has to be some kind of justice in the end. And by the way, this is a really good thing. We want that kind of God. We want a God who is perfectly just because one, we don't have to guess where we stand. If you look at different conceptions of God, like in Islam, for example, you never know where you stand with God because he could decide one day arbitrarily, you're out. You don't get to go to heaven one day. So we want this perfectly just God, and we want him to punish the people who have not done right in this world. We do not want Hitler to go, ah, you know, you killed a few million, but you're still in. No, we want justice to be served because something intuitive to us knows that justice has to be served. And yet when it comes to us and the justice that we deserve, we don't want that anymore. We want us to get a pass, and then the evil people, uh, rapists and murderers and and dictators, they they all get judgment. That's not how this works. When you work with a perfectly good God who is just and loving, you got to take both. He's going to have to punish the misdeeds of our life, and yet he loves us unconditionally. And so what do we do with this? Well, we've got this totally perfectly loving God who loves us unconditionally that has to punish us. What is he supposed to do? And this is where the story of Jesus begins to enter. But before I get there, I just want you just for a moment in your own mind to think of Jesus. Not the picture of Jesus with the, hip, you know, the hippie Jesus, and he's like, oh, you know, and he's your buddy and everything. Uh, no, no, not that Jesus. I want you to think about the character of Jesus. Who is he? What do you know about him? And do you like him at all? Do you think he's an interesting guy at least? Because here's what's true about Jesus. And he predicted this 2,000 years ago. He said, everyone in the world is going to have an opinion about me. They're either going to love me or they're going to hate me. Nobody's going to be neutral if they really know who I am because I've made some really big claims about myself. So let me give you one really quick. Uh, He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, he would go around and say these crazy things like, hey, there is a God and you can know him, but the only way that you can know God is exclusively through me. Now, do you know how intolerant that sounds for us today? That sounds ridiculous. You're, you're trying to tell me that Christianity is true and all other religions are false. That's like modern day heresy. You can't say that. And yet I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And I'm just telling you what he said. So don't shoot the messenger. And so when we look at the person of Jesus, C.S. Lewis concludes that you have to believe he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's either a liar because he claimed these huge things and he knew he couldn't do it. He's a crazy person because he claimed these things and he believed it, but he couldn't do it. Or he claimed these things and he really could do it. But nobody gets to just be neutral about Jesus. Everybody has to have uh, some kind of opinion about him. And so I can already imagine the wheels turning in your head and you're thinking, okay, um, how can there just be one true religion? How can there just be one way to God? 
Because think about this, and I totally get this. There are billions of people who believe as strongly as I do and who have their own religious conceptions of God. And how can billions of people be wrong about this? And, and emotionally, I can understand that. I get that. But let's just pause for a second because sometimes our emotions are going to betray us. Let's just think about this logically. Truth in its very core the nature of truth is exclusive, meaning when you make a claim about how the world really is, you are now negating all other claims that do not say the same thing. And so if you look at all the different religions in the world, you're going to see that they're all making exclusive, exclusive claims about who God is and the way that the world works. And they do not pair up with each other. They contradict one another. And so, for example, uh, Hinduism, 300 million gods. And then Christianity says, nope, there's only one God. Okay, so those both can't be true. Or um, you look at atheism, no God. Well, then Christianity says, nope, there is a God. Okay, well, that can't be true. Judaism uh, says that there is one God, and he is the God of the Old Testament. And Christianity says, and then he was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how he's saved. And they say, nope, those two don't go together. And so if you look at all the religious claims, somebody has to be told, well, either everyone's wrong, which is a possibility, it's a live option, or there's only one truth out there. And so, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that everybody is making exclusive claims? Even you, by the way. Even the people who say, you know what, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't make claims like that. Everybody makes a truth to the world, to reality. You may believe, you know, every path leads to God. Well, guess what? You just said that all other religions are wrong. You may claim that Allah is, is, is the true God and that Muhammad was his messenger. Well, guess what? You just claimed everybody else was wrong. You make, whatever you claim, you're making an exclusive claim to the truth, and so you just can't get around the fact that everybody is negating all other truth claims that is not the one that they're making. And so we all have to decide, okay, if we're all making truth claims, and we're all saying that this is the way that the world really is, and how it operates, and that this is how um, God is, what do we do with that? And, and I think what happens is, logically, we go, okay, that makes sense. I get that. It's not really a whole way around that. It, you know, if A is true, then B is false, and then so B can't. I get it. It's logic. Okay, fine. But there's this part of us, especially if we grew up in church or we've known Christians a little bit where we go, but Christianity, really? Because, like, I've known some Christians, and they kind of suck sometimes, you know? And so how can that be true? And, and by the way, at that same coffee shop, different person, um, we had the same discussion. Oh, yeah, what do you do for a living, Pastor? Well, okay, good. And her immediate response was, oh, yeah, I've known some pastors. They're all a-holes. I went, oh, here's another one, I guess. I don't, oof, I, here I am. You know, I, she's, and that's what she said. And then she began to tell me the story of how she had gone to church at one time and got involved and then had this whatever blow up in the church. And so she's never been back and she hates it. And so she came to the same conclusion that other people throughout history have had. Let, let me give you one famous person, Gandhi. Gandhi says this. He says, he said, I like your Christ." I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, I get that. I get that. He looks at Jesus and he goes, that guy's fascinating. I mean, he stands for things that I think all of us would ascribe to and all of us would want to be. And yet when I look at the people who are following him, oh, I don't want to be that. And so if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want that. But I think that there's a misunderstanding. Here's what I would have said to Gandhi if I had the opportunity. I would have said, you know what? If they, Christians don't act like Christ, then they're not actually Christians. Because by definition, a Christian is a little Christ, meaning they went to think and believe and behave like Jesus. And so if they're not doing that, they're not being a 
Christian. And so, yeah, we all know people who are hypocritical. We all know people who aren't acting the way that they should, and they're not living the way that they should. But here's the thing, is you should not, uh, you should not decide the validity of a belief or a philosophy based on its abusers. Is because someone is doing it wrong does not mean that the belief itself is wrong. So let me give you an example. It's freedom. I think all of us would say freedom is a great thing. We have the ability to be here tonight or not be here tonight. We can go and we can do what we want after this. But here's the deal is sometimes people abuse this incredible gift of freedom. And what happens is they get their freedom taken away and they get put in prison. Now, we wouldn't say, well, these people abused freedom, so freedom's a really bad thing. We would say, no, 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 freedom's a good thing, but these people have done something bad with it. The same thing is true of Christianity is, yes, this is a really good thing. In fact, this is a true thing, but some people have done some bad things with it. And so we shouldn't judge the truth or the validity of the belief based on the people who have misused it or abused it. So um, let me ask you one more one question. As we're talking about hypocrites, and I think that might be one of the things that keeps us uh, from, from church and, and from God is, is there anyone that you know that no matter what they believe, Christian, atheist, whatever, that is not a hypocrite? Can you name one person in this world who is not hypocritical? Because here's what I've observed, and maybe you hang out with better people than I do, but everybody understands that there is a way that they should act and that they should be, and yet they consistently do not act or think that way. That there is this thing inside of us in which we know how we should be. We know we shouldn't lie, and we shouldn't gossip, and we shouldn't steal and cheat, and yet we always continue to fall short of that. And so for me, there seems to be a bigger issue. It's not just Christians that are hypocrites. It's everybody that are hypocrites. It doesn't matter what you believe. There is a standard that you have, and you don't meet it. And so how do we explain that? So let me dissect that really quick. Two things. One, there seems to be this standard within us that we know there is a way that we should be, and yet we're not. So how do we know that there's a way that things should be? How do we know that there is right and wrong in the universe? Did we just make it up? No, it seems intuitive. It's something that it goes beyond any borders. It goes beyond time. It goes beyond um, space. It's something that all humans seem to know and agree upon that abusing and murdering people is wrong and loving people and caring for them is right. How did we come to this knowledge? And where did this come from? It's almost as if there is this law out there, this moral law that exists that is as real as the law of gravity. And somehow all of us can comprehend that. How does that make sense? Now, I've explored all the live options of how we can understand this. Either we're deluded and there is no moral law out there and you know what, nihilism is true and murder and love are the same thing ultimately. Or there's a God out there who from his very character flows the attributes of, of moral goodness. That we can know the moral law because we have a God who is morally perfect. So what do we do with that? Okay, so we know that we're supposed to be, and by the way, as Christians, we can explain this because we go, there is a God out there who is the, who is the, the epitome of goodness, is morally perfect, and being made in his image, we now are moral beings. We intuitively, it says in the Bible that it's written on our hearts that we know good and evil. And yet... There's this part that we know what we should do, and yet we don't do it. It's this Jekyll and Hyde part of us. I know I should do this. I know I should eat healthy. I know I shouldn't go to In-N-Out after this. I know I shouldn't. And yet, guess what I'm going to do right after this? And number one, no under tomatoes with fry light well and an extra large Sprite. Fifth time I've had it this week. God bless it, okay? Yes. 
yes. And the only reason I went there tonight is because Chick-fil-A isn't open until tomorrow, which I'll have for breakfast, right? It's, uh, it's my biblical duty. And so, and so it's not, the issue is not that I don't know what I should do. The issue is actually doing it. And the Bible actually has an explanation of this too, is you know what you're supposed to do because God wrote it on your heart and yet you don't do it. Why? Because there's something that has gone wrong with us, something that's gone wrong with the world. It's not just out there that things are out of control. It's something in here that's out of control as well. And so as the world begins to, and everyone has to explain this, how do we explain that the world is not the way that it should be? Everybody's got to explain it. And so some people say it's education. We need more education. Some people say it's income inequality. We need more, inco- we need more equality. They come up with tons of different, you know what? They need more self-esteem, better family values. And all those things may be great things, but do you really believe that Hitler would have been a sweetheart if there were just more education and income equality in the world? No, mm because what was in him and is what it was in um, every human is far deeper and more profound than just the environment that you grow up in. There's something within us, and the Bible calls it sin, and it says it is the sin that is within us that does not allow us to do the things that we know that we should do, and this happens because there is a God who made us and wanted a relationship with us, and yet we have rejected him and saying, we want to go our own way. We don't want to follow this God. We don't want to submit to this God. We want to do our own thing. And so it is this disease that permeates all of humanity and has since Adam and Eve. Now, what do we do with this? We're separated from God. We know that there's some kind of justice that has to be sent our way if this God really is morally perfect. And so what do we do? And see, the scripture gives us the the solution. So the scripture says that Jesus came to earth, meaning the creator, the person who, who made all of this incarnate, came to earth and lived the life that we should have lived. So what's the life that we should live? Well, we all know what it is. It's, it's perfect, right? It's being morally perfect, doing all the things that we know that we should do, not just some of the things. He lived that life. And then Instead of him getting the reward that he deserves for living that perfect life, instead, he switches us places and says, I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve, and I live the perfect life. I deserve reward, but I'll take your punishment, and in return, you get the reward that I deserve because I'm going to trade you places. And this is really what the gospel is. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, one, it seems like this is too good to be true. It's like, really? What do I got to do for this? And really, all the scripture says you've got to confess that Jesus is Lord, you've got to turn from your sin, and you've got to follow him. But here's the real problem. The real problem is everything within us says, nope, not going to do it. I want to be the ruler. I want to be in charge. I don't want to have to submit and do what God tells me to do. I, you know what? I'm going to think of every smokescreen I can to run away from this God. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you that freedom. I'm going to allow you to do that. But just remember that I have offered a way back, that in your rebellion, in your rejection of God, I have provided a way for us to be reconciled. And so I'm not gonna give you the hard sell tonight. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I just want you to take some time and to think through some of this stuff. Just like I took a few years to think through my beliefs and what they mean, I want you to think through yours. Is okay, do I believe in God? And if so, what God do I believe in and why? Who is this God? Did I make it up? Where did I get this from? And if there is this God out there, and, and you know, Jesus really is who he says, what does this mean for my life? What am I supposed to do about it? And I, I, 
maybe this deserves my attention. Because, and here's my belief, is if the most impactful person in all of human history comes along and says, I am the way to eternal life, I at least have to take that claim seriously and decide, is he a liar, a lunatic, or is he really the Lord? Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for a place like this where we can come and we can, uh, we can have fun, we can eat barbecue, and uh, we can line dance. And uh, Lord God, I also um, am just excited that we have a place that we can dialogue about faith and we can think about the big questions, especially in a world in which um, it's so fast-paced and we're so busy and everything wants to pull us away from thinking about the big questions and wrestling with um, the things that really matter. And so just for a few minutes here, just a few brief moments, I just pray that you would uh, light a fire within us. If we've never thought about these questions, that it would be something that we, um, we get serious about and that we want to find answers to. And if it's something that we know what the answer is, but we just haven't been uh, living up, we haven't been, um, we haven't been who we know we are made to be, we haven't been following you, that this would be a night that is a, a change, that we can look back at Sea Coach 2017 and say, that's when I decided I was going to get real about my faith. So Lord God, we thank you. Uh, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.